Right. I think we're good to go. Can you hear me there? <laughs> can you hear me there? So we'll see if you can hear me out in Facebook land. Um, let me get set up here real quick. Take a second. Um, I love being here at Village Church. I really do. And uh, I know you are missing the fellowship that really was the hallmark of this church. And I know you're missing it. And my heart aches with you guys. And um, let's hope for a swift path to normal. You know, I don't know, you know what that word means anymore. But uh, the normal that was here and the fellowship, man, I want that to come back as yeah, my heart aches for you guys. So let's, let's, Lord, you do this thing, and you, you get us back to where we need to be. Okay, let me get set up. Set up. Okay, wait, hey, we heard this, the, the text this morning. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. And um, let me just start off by saying this, that um, I think especially in light of kind of, the reality of where we all find ourselves in 2020, um, we all need something to keep us going. We all need something to just to keep moving forward, right? Something that will, um, in light of all the signs that we see out there, how we look at our culture and how we look at things in politics and how we look at you know, economics and race relations, all of that. We need something to keep us going forward. We just need something to keep us going. And um, we all need something, a sign, to tell us that things are going to be okay, right? Because there's not a whole lot of that going on right now. And in Hebrews, uh, we're going to look at Noah. And because I think that what's, what's happening in Noah's life is exactly what we need to hear today because the signs that he was given. He, he was given two signs, two things to look at to keep going, two things to consider to keep pressing forward. And they apply to us today. Two things just to keep going, right? And so we're going to look at those. And before we do, like in, in, in Hebrews, the, the book of Hebrews, the whole book is given to show the supremacy of Jesus. That if you're looking to angels, that's one of the things that the author of Hebrews deals with, you need to be looking to Jesus, right? If you're looking to the priesthood, you need to be looking to Jesus. He's the ultimate priest. And so even in this passage, uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, which is the hall of faith, yeah, that's one of those things you probably heard in Sunday school. It's, it's the list of people who have been walking by, who walked by faith in the face of circumstances that were crazy, circumstances that said the opposite. You know, the signs of their circumstance were saying, you know, why keep going forward? But by faith, they kept moving forward. And so we're looking at Noah this morning. And, be, and, and by way of introduction, by way of introduction, all pastors have some sort of movie uh, illustration they give. And so that's what I'm going to do, right? So bear with me. It's a, that's a pretty good one, actually. Uh, it's an 18-year-old movie, which is hard to believe. I can't believe it's 18 years since that movie came out. But it was uh, the, the, uh, the Rookie. Anybody seen that movie? Yeah, excellent. I see that hand. Um, uh, it's a story. It's a, based on a true story. It's a high school uh, baseball coach who sometime in his past, he's still a young man, but sometime in his past he, he thought he could make it to the major leagues but had an injury to his arm, got it worked on, um, and now he finds himself not even thinking he could be in the majors anymore. He's just a high school coach, 
high school baseball coach. And his team loves him. And they said, listen, coach, if we make it to the finals, if we make it to the tournament, if we win it, you have to go and try out. You have to go try out for the majors. See if you can make it. And he says, yeah, sure. Well, of course, they do win. And he has to, but he doesn't believe in his arm. He, he, he knows he has to throw at least in the 90s, mid-90s, to even get looked at. He has to throw a 90-mile-per-hour fastball, at least. And he has no faith in his arm at all. But to test it out, he, the scene in this movie can't be true, right, but it's a really cool scene, is he goes to and he finds one of those sort of radar you know, speed detectors that, you know, the, that the Department of Traffic puts out and says, you know, here's the speed limit and here's how fast you're going. So he finds one of those. It's on a deserted road. And he goes to see because he's going to throw a baseball and see if it tells him how fast he's throwing it. So he, he tries it out. It's, it's, it's at night. It's a deserted road. He tries it out, just sort of lobs a ball. And, um, and it says 40 miles per hour. I can't remember the movie exactly. But he says, all right, it works. So he rears back, and he throws his fastball. And what flashes up is it says 76 miles per hour. He's discouraged because that's not good enough. It needs to be 96, right? But it says 76. And as he walks to go pick up the balls that he's thrown, he passes the sign, and he gets past it, and he can't see what's what's happening, but we do because we're the audience. We can see the sign, and that seven flickers, and then all of a sudden it becomes a nine, like 96, because there was a short in it, something. But he really did throw a 96-mile-per-hour fastball. It's unseen to him, seen to us, but it's unseen to him. All he knows, the sign he's reading says, you're not good enough. It's 76. You're, not gonna, you're just not good enough. But we know. We know the unseen sign. Um, so he was looking for a sign, something to tell him to keep going, to keep pressing on. And we need signs too. The signs that we see out in our culture right now and the things that are happening tell us it's 76 miles per hour. It's very discouraging, very discouraging. But what are the signs that are telling us the reality of what's going on, the things that we don't see? Where do we look? What should we be looking at? See, I think the hardest thing to do, one of the, at least in the top five, hardest things as a Christian is to stand firm when the signs of life are saying the opposite. When the signs of life that we're looking at are telling us about our faith, saying something contrary about our faith, it's hard to keep going. Like, for instance, I know you have friends that would say, yeah, you say you believe in a good God. Well, how come, you know, fill in the blank. If you really believe in a good God, why are there so many things going on that just seem so out of control? How could a, how could a good God have so much pain in the world? How, much, how could a good God have so much um, sickness in the world? And so we even go through that as with, well with our own hearts and minds, right? The doctor's uh, diagnosis, the things that are happening in our family, uh, the things that just make seem like life and all the signs of life are just that everything's out of control. We begin to doubt. We begin to doubt. You know, God, are you real? God, are you there? How can you be a good God if this is happening in my life? We go through that. We look at those things and we start to doubt. We have to take our eyes off of those things and look at the signs that he gives us to look at, the things that are unseen, if we're going to have the strength to keep going and the desire to keep pressing on. I do think that one of the hardest things about following Christ is standing firm when the signs of life say something contrary to what we believe. 
Um, and I think when things don't change quick enough, too, in our lives, things don't change quick enough in our culture. I mean, two weeks to stop the spread. <laughs> Seven months. Uh, we don't even know when this is going to be over. It's just like, what in the world? How can this just perpetually keep happening? And, I, and, and so we, if we fix our eyes on that, we have to be very careful we don't get discouraged. And we're just staring at 76 miles per hour when God is saying, no, no, no. The unseen, the unseen is there. And how do we see it? And what can we see? Well, I would say this that the, uh, the first part of Hebrews, it says that the faith is in the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we need to hold on to those things because, as G.K. Chesterton says, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. He says, and faith means believing the incredible or it is no virtue at all. And Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so the, when things and the signs in our culture are so contrary to the, uh, walking with Christ or is so contrary or so difficult, it's an opportunity to bring glory to God. For us to walk by faith in this world. It brings glory to God. It's an incredible opportunity. And we don't have much time as humans. Uh, God said to Moses, to, to Noah, in he, Genesis 6, essentially, you've got 120 years to build this ark. Gave him a sort of a time frame. And so we, as human beings, we've maybe got 75 years on earth, 80, depending. And we don't, you know, we have a limited time to walk by faith. Um, and there are endless temptations to pull us off. There are endless signs to take us different directions rather than the signs that God gives us so that we can keep going on by faith. Uh, there's no real deep biblical account of uh, Noah and during those time where he's building the ark, the 120 years, the time he was taking to build the ark. There was, there's nothing that recorded about the ridicule he probably went through. Right. That's a lifetime to be building something where someone says, well, hey, what are you doing? I'm building an ark because God is sending judgment and is going to flood the whole earth. You know, can you imagine if he lived now and he was on Twitter and on Instagram and he's posting pictures of what he's building? Think about the comment lines. Do you read the comment lines on these things? They're brutal. Can you imagine the comment lines for, for Noah? You know, he probably watches Fox News. He's, you know, he's an idiot. Right. You know, or maybe, oh, he's probably a liberal. Yeah. Look, you know, there's the, the comment lines. He probably. Imagine what he went through and how his faith would waver from time to time, because the coming judgment was unseen. And yet he was building something that he could see, you know, something that he that it was just so contrary to what was going on, because there's no flood. There's no judgment coming, people would say. And see, that's our world as well. And so to counter all of that, God gave him two signs. And these are the two signs that we are given as well to keep going in the face of difficulty, to keep going by faith. The same two signs are given to us. But here are the signs he uh, received. He had God's word, his promises, in the form of judgment. He said judgment is coming. He had that word from God. Judgment is coming. 
But then he had a second sign, and he was building it, the ark of salvation, the ark of salvation. So we have God's word in the form of a, a proclaimed judgment, and then he was building the second sign, the ark of the covenant, I mean the ark of salvation. And those are actually the two signs that we are given because that ark points forward to the ark of salvation, the ultimate, right, ark of salvation, Jesus. He's our salvation, so it points forward. So let's, let's dig really deep on this. Let's look and see that we live in a sign when, at the time when signs are, of encouragement are really few. There's just not a lot out there to look at. And they're empty because they're not rooted in the truth. And so just like Noah, just like Noah, we live in evil times. And the same promises given Noah are given to us. You know, judgment is coming. Flood is coming. Judgment is coming. And God has said, but I've provided a way. I have provided a way. So we have to fight really hard not to be sign seekers that are looking for things for encouragement other than what God has revealed to us in his word. Um, I don't know if you've watched the uh, documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Anybody seen that one yet? This, this documentary talks about the social media that was developed, and, and there's some whistleblowers that have emerged out of Google and Facebook these are, the, these are the brainiacs that developed the uh, algorithm that determines uh, what kind of information is fed to you and me. And they figured out a way to write this algorithm where what you start to click on and what, what rabbit holes you go down of interest, like on YouTube and any of those things, this algorithm says, oh, they're interested in this thing over here. So I'm going to feed them more on that. I'm going to give them information on that thing that they're interested in. And so as you head more and more that way, you're only hearing one side of something. And the reason why they do that is they want you to keep coming back and keep coming back. Because when you keep coming back, they can monetize that. And they monetize it because they have sucked all of us in. But the thing is, you're you're only hearing one side of it. And on this documentary, they, they really quickly just touched on you know, the flat earthers that are out there. Uh, there are people, um, Kyrie Irving, I think, you know, the basketball NBA player, sort of was sort of the spokesman for the flat earthers for a while. He eventually apologized and said, hey, I got really sucked into this thing. But, see, that's the thing. So you show an interest in this, then all you get are only people that believe in, say, flat earth, and that's all that you're getting. You don't read the other side because that's what's being fed to us. And so that's why we have to work even harder now in our culture to not be sign seekers looking to anything else other than the revealed word, the written word of God, and in particular, Jesus, the word, right? We have to work really hard now because there's so many things coming against us, and we're only hearing one side of stuff now. No wonder we're so polarized as a culture. One side of something, ridiculous. So we have to stop being sign seekers and rest in these two signs. Let's just look at them again quickly. First thing we're to do is to stand firm. We need to keep going. But we stand firm on the sign of God's judgment. Look at verse 7 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, 
the flood, God's judgment, unseen yet. But he's been warned. He's received God's word. We know it's coming. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. You know, this is that right uh, verse 1 of 11, conviction of things not seen. See, the thing about sin, the thing about sin is it's, it's not less than breaking God's commandments. It's more than that. Sin is, I heard this great, it's an amazing way to think about this, but sin is making something, anything other than God, your ultimate value and worth. If you're finding your worth in what you do, you will pursue it at any cost and any expense. You will run after it so hard, you will sin deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You will, you know, you'll lie to get what you want. You'll, you'll, you will steal to get what you want. And to keep it, you'll do anything. So sin is this deep, deep thing that's way in our hearts. It's worse than you think. It's worse than I think. But that deep sin um, is what, you know, certainly was convicting Noah that, hey, there is a coming judgment. Um, but it's yet unseen. We, we can see our own hearts. We wonder, is judgment coming? But Noah, um, did Noah really believe that judgment was coming? We have to say, well, yes, he did. How do we know? He's building an ark, this giant, this giant boat, this ship that's going to carry uh, his family as well as two of every animal, right? So we know he believes it because he's done something in light of that judgment. How do, you, how do you know, how do I know that I believe that God's judgment is coming? What are we doing to deliver salvation to those around us? That's how you know you believe because you will bring the gospel because you're convicted of your own sin, God's judgment, and you bring the gospel. You bring salvation to those around you. You start, you know, start local with your, uh, your family. But the truth is, just like Noah, we have limited time. And if we have limited time... We have to ask, what are we doing? What are we focusing on? You know, what, what kind of things are we trying to amass for ourselves? What, what sort of treasure? Is it on earth or is it in heaven? And we begin to sort of ask ourselves that question. Because if judgment's coming, how are we living? What are we doing in light of that? Um, and so, you know, some, some of us, and I'm guilty of this too, I'm amassing more stuff. But it's worthless. You can't take it with you. What can you take with you? Only those things done in his name. Only things done where we invest in other people's lives, where we bring the, the peace of God, the shalom, and the salvation of God into communities, into lives, into our own lives. That, that's what matters. Um, but I would tell us this. Let's start small. You know, so much of what goes on as we try to solve problems, we try to solve them on the macro level, on the huge level. We try to fix what's been going on for centuries. We try to fix what's going on in our country. How do we fix what's going on in our country? Race relations, economic disparity, whatever it is, you just such a huge, huge task. Push it local. Go as far down as you can. Get it into your household. Um, a Flannery O'Connor the great Gothic, uh, Southern Gothic author, she said this one of my absolute favorite quotes. It, it centers me a lot I just because I have to remember this. She said, you begin to save the world one person at a time. 
Everything else is uh, 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 grandiose romanticism or politics. Politics, right? You begin to save the world one person at a time. Everything else is grandiose romanticism or politics. So if we are convicted of God's judgment because we see our own sin, then the reason, the way that we know that it has penetrated our hearts, has transformed us as if we are out. We are out bringing salvation to those around us and start small. Start in your household and push out from there. You know, and then maybe, maybe we will solve the nation's problem one day. But start small. So that's the first one. We stand firm on God's word, his promise of judgment. Now, the well, last part, the last thing we stand on, we stand firm on the sign of God's salvation. Look at the rest of verse 7. By this, Moses, uh, Noah condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, how does, how does, Noah, how does Noah condemn the world by building the ark? This is where it gets, this is the turning point of the sermon. This is the turning point. This is the thing we really need to get a hold of. So just like the ark condemns, the broken body, but the ark points ahead to the broken body of Christ. The life he lived, the death he died, the broken body of Christ on the cross. So how does the ark condemn? Well, God said, the world is evil. I'm going to judge it. And here's the salvation of people, the ark. You mean my sin, my heart, what was, is so deep and so awful that you have to flood the earth? It's that bad? And so we look at the broken body of Christ. You mean the second person of the Trinity, as Amos was praying, that, you know, that we're praying that a triune prayer. We're calling on the triune name of God. The second person of that trinity is Jesus. He entered time, took on flesh, and lived among us. He lived among us, those that would wanted to persecute. And he understood the depths of suffering in ways that we can only imagine. Our sin, my sin, is that bad where God enters into time to save us. It's that deep and that awful. It is condemning the body of Christ is condemning to us. The ark of salvation is condemning because it's our sin that caused it. It was our sin that even required a flood. It is our sin that put Jesus on the cross. That's how difficult. That's how awful our sin is. It condemns us. So that, if that's that angle of it. You see, we have a huge debt. The debt that we, our sin has caused us before a perfect and holy God is so enormous, that debt is so enormous that Jesus had to come. Um, that part is so critical for how we live. This is a sign that will be transformative. Let me explain. Um, there's a, an illustration that Martin Lloyd-Jones gave. He's a a British preacher, I think he was actually Welsh, from Wales. Um, he lived in the mid-20th century, great preacher. He gives this illustration. He says, what if you had a friend that came up to you and said, hey, I was at your house today. I was at your door and I was knocking and you weren't there. And uh, someone came up and a, they brought a bill that was due. Um, and you weren't there and I saw the bill and so uh, I paid it for you. 
I paid the bill. It's done. Debt's over. Yeah, I've got your bill paid for. How would you react to your friend? The first thing I would want to know is say, well, how much was it? <laughs> what did you pay? First, if it was just the postman had come up and you owed 50 cents on a stamp to be delivered, you know, you would say to your friend, well, man, well, dude, thanks. Um, I really appreciate that. You're a really good friend. 50 cents. Thanks. I, I'm glad I don't have to pay it back. It wouldn't transform your relationship much. I mean, at all. I think, frankly, it's going, okay, because I, I wouldn't even mention it to you if I paid 50 cents. <laughs> but so um, it wouldn't at all transform your relationship. But what if your friend said, yeah, the, the person that came up was an IRS agent. So now your mind's going, oh, man, yeah, I haven't paid taxes in 10 years. <laughs> I own a business, and I know exactly how much I owe. It's, uh, it's six figures. And your friend says, yeah, the, you know, the, your tax bill was due, and I paid it, all of it. Done. Paid. How would you react? You would, oh, my goodness. You would owe him everything. You would, you would say, oh. I would bow down and worship, I think, I'm pretty sure. You would, you, you would say, there's nothing you can ask of me that I wouldn't do for you. Incredible. You've given so much. And that's what we have in Jesus. You see, the two signs that are given to us, judgment and salvation, you know, the law and grace, truth and grace, we need both. You see, if we have an algorithm where we only have one or the other, we only focus on one and not the other. If you focus on truth, you know, and not grace, you don't have truth. And if you focus on truth without, if you focus on grace without truth, you don't have grace. You don't get it. You can't. We don't want to just focus on the other. Because here's the problem. If all you have is truth of God's judgment, You're going to look at your own heart and you say, there's no way I can live up to this. And there's really two things that can happen. Either you're saying I can't and I'm crushed and there's no hope because I can't keep this law. I can't follow this truth. I know I deserve judgment, but there's nothing I can do. You're crushed. That's no way to go through life. But what if you're sort of a legalist and you sort of reduce things down to, well, I I do pretty well. I keep God's law pretty well. I think he's going to be really satisfied with me. Man, have you met people like that? They're not nice people. They judge others really deep, and they're kind of arrogant. You see, but and if we also have just grace, and that's how I was raised. I was raised to say, smile, God loves you. So there's really kind of, there's no right, there's no wrong. It's not transformative. Just like if you just have judgment but no grace, it's not transformative. It'll turn you into a jerk. It'll crush you. And if all you have is grace, then you're just, it's not transformative. You don't know how to even live because you don't even know what's right and wrong. It doesn't matter. I can do this if I want. I can steal from you if I want. Because, eh, there's, there's nothing about it that's transformative. But we need both. We need both signs because Jesus came in grace and truth. We've beheld his glory, glory of the only son of God, right? It's, he came in grace and truth, and so we need both. So we, the signs that we need, you know, grace and truth, And let me just conclude with this, because look, we walk in light of God's judgment and in the light of his salvation. His judgment makes us humble. His judgment makes us humble. Because we interact with people, not as that we're better than them, or even sort of of inferior. We just, man, we are, we get it. 
We are fellow sinners deserving judgment. I know how my sin put Jesus on the cross. I get it. I know how I still struggle. It makes us humble when we have the judgment of God, his his law, his word. And we walk knowing I'm more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. But we also have grace because grace makes us bold. We love people trusting in God's ability to save and love through us because we know there was nothing in us that could save us. But yet he died for our sins. He died for my sins. He made it a way. And so it makes us bold to proclaim the truth. Right? Comment lines we don't care about. It makes us bold because there's a humble boldness that comes from those two signs that we have. God's judgment and his grace. Because here's the deal. We can walk knowing that you're more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but you are more accepted and loved than you'd ever dared hope. See, we need both. Everyone needs both, truth and grace. That's the gospel. Those are the signs that we need to keep going. And let us embrace those and walk by faith, pleasing God all the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, truly, as your word tells us, as we, as, as we think about the life of Noah and the struggle to, to keep going in the face of probably ridicule and just wondering, is this really worth it? Uh, with uh, evil culture and the difficulties and the things that we see all around us, Lord, let us look only to these signs. We know your judgment, Father, but that just that really humbles us because we know our own hearts. And then let us, in the next step, look to the cross of Christ. Let us never be uh, further away than the foot of the cross and no higher than the feet of Jesus on the cross. Let us stay there. Let us stay there, Father. Uh, being transformed by your grace so that we can go and keep going by faith. Father, we we need that. We need this again and again and again and again. We thank you for your word and how powerful it is that even through Noah, we find ourselves looking in the face of Jesus. Noah points us back to Jesus, points us to Jesus. That's where we want to be. In your presence, Jesus, one day, some way, we will fully, but until then, we will walk by faith with these two signs you've given us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.